God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Operation Desert Storm is on the precipice of a new phase as we gather this morning. We are led to believe that the ground war, such as it will be, is about to begin. Our soldiers, who have been waiting these many months, are naturally eager to get on with it, and yet at the same time fearful because of some of the terrifying results that may come. That's natural. And yet when the order does come to advance into Kuwait or into Iraq, they will do so because of an important principle that is the bedrock of military life, and that is the principle of duty. Duty, according to Webster, is a moral or legal obligation to follow a certain line of conduct. One of the first things that a soldier learns in going to boot camp is the importance of obeying orders, and that to do so is a duty of him as a soldier. It is an obligation. The word duty comes from the Middle English period, and a word that then meant, what is due? And so duty is that which is due to a government, to a commanding officer, to someone who is in authority over me. We who are believers in Jesus Christ have a duty to God. Now this assertion that I'm talking about this morning, our duty to God, does not contradict the teaching of the gospel of the grace of God. Duty is a reasonable response to God's gracious and genuine work in us. That is why when he came to the twelfth chapter of his epistle to the Romans, the Apostle Paul began by saying, Now because of these great mercies of God that I have been telling you about in these first eleven chapters, present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable duty, which is your service to him as though you were worshiping him. Present your bodies to God, he says. That is our duty. In Ephesians chapter 4, we find a similar statement made. After three chapters of laying out before us, line upon line, verse upon verse, of the grace of God in saving us, he says in the fourth chapter, as he begins to shift gears, I therefore entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. He says, because of the grace of God active in your lives, I entreat you now to your duty. It is to walk worthy of the calling of God in your life. Salvation is, of course, by grace. And it is free to the believing sinner. We are grateful that it liberates us from the law of God which actually only exposes the problem. It's incapable of giving us a new heart, as grace can do. But a true preaching of the gospel of grace does not lead to irresponsibility. It does not imply that 
The saved by grace person has no obligations to God after his salvation. Indeed, we have a duty to God. Our duty to him is not one of law-keeping, it's one of grace-obeying. And part of our duty to God is reflected in our duty to his work in the world, in the church. As we saw last week in the previous verses here in 1 Thessalonians 5, we have a duty to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. It is a duty not only to God, but to others in the church. Because my sensitivity and your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit affects everybody else in the body. If I am insensitive and careless to the Spirit of God, then everybody else in my church is affected by that. Because we are part of the same body. On the other hand, if I am yielded to the Spirit of God and surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, everybody else in the church benefits from that. We have a duty to the church and to God to be serious about our calling to holiness as the people of God. That is Paul's prayer as he concludes this epistle in these two verses before us. He says, I pray that God will do this. May he sanctify you entirely. That is God's calling in our lives, he says. And faithful is the one who calls us. He will do it. The calling of God is a major theme in Paul's writing to the Thessalonians. Look back in chapter 2 and verse 12. He exhorts them to live a certain way, like a, a good father or a coach. And then he says, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. In chapter 4 and verse 7, he reminds us, God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 11, he says, To this end we also pray for you always that our God may count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. In chapter 2, verse 14, he says, And it was for this he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the emphasis upon our calling here? And so the apostle, it seems to me, is saying something that is very important for you and for me to grasp as he concludes this book. As he prays that God will sanctify the Thessalonians, he is also saying to all of us in the church, be serious about God's calling in your life to holiness. Be serious about that. He says that God's calling is, has a twofold purpose in the first place. On the one hand, his calling is for our complete and ultimate sanctification. Sanctification is a long theological word that has a very basic meaning. It means to set something aside for special use. You ladies probably have some special dishes in your house. Not the kind that you pull out every night of the week, but the kind that you put on the table only when the company comes. And that's how the kids know somebody's coming. You might be eating in the dining room and it's set with that special china 
Now, why do we call it special? Because it's been sanctified. Because it's been set apart for company. And you use it on special occasions. So God has set you and me apart. And his purpose in calling us is our ultimate setting apart. Our complete sanctification. He says that every one of us and every part of us, spirit, soul, and body, is affected by this calling. Every person who's sitting here who's a believer in Jesus Christ is a part of what we're talking about, this calling. And every part of us, this body, the soul, and spirit on the inside of us, every part of us is involved in this calling that we're talking about. And God's purpose in the calling is that one day in every respect, every one of us will be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Our character will reflect our calling. The ramifications of this are pretty staggering for right now. In light of this, back in chapter 4, he told us that we are to keep ourselves from sexual immorality. He says you have to learn how to control the desires of your body in purity. Why? Because God has called you to this purpose, to be like Jesus. That's pretty practical, isn't it? We can no longer live for selfish pursuits of any kind. Selfish pursuits. Because of God's calling in our lives to be like Jesus. God's purpose is our complete and ultimate sanctification, but it's also our certain and safe preservation. Notice he says, And may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete, without blame, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Complete means undamaged or left intact. It's like the planes that come back from the raids in war. And they're not shot up. Nothing's come close to them. They come back complete, intact from the battle. He says, I pray that you will arrive one day at your heavenly destination, complete, not shot up by the enemy, but intact, preserved, and without blame. That means no legitimate accusation being leveled at you. That no charge can be found that has any base to it, blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This preservation from harm and from accusation, this preservation for Jesus Christ will one day be complete when he comes again. We're being kept until that day by the power of God. God's purpose is that we might share the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what he's called us for. That's why he is sanctifying us. That's why he is preserving us. So that one day we can reign with Christ in his glory. That glory will be two different kinds. It will be glory that will be seen in us because we will be glorified to be made like him. And it's glory that we will live in because it's the location, the land of glory. Heaven is called glory in the Bible. And one day we will be there in glory. God's purpose is that we be there 
and be glorified. Be serious about your calling. Then he says something about God's process in this calling here. There is one sense in which God's calling upon us is a completed act. You'll notice perhaps in verse 7 of chapter 4, he says, God has not called us for impurity but in sanctification. The word called there is in the aorist tense. In other words, it is a once-for-all completed action. It, it may look to the past. Uh, it, it is something that has already been accomplished for them. In this sense, God's calling is over. It's done. It's finished. It's completed. It came to them through the preaching of Paul, the gospel that he proclaimed to them. God's calling in your life is in one sense completed. It came at that moment that you trusted Christ as a youngster at camp. Or as that person came to your home and called on you. Or whatever the situation was. That moment that you prayed to receive Christ, God's calling came to you and it was completed and consummated at that moment in one sense. But in another sense, God's calling is a process in your life. We are being called. You'll notice when he uses this term in chapter 2, verse 12, it's in the present tense. The God who calls you to his kingdom and glory. And that is the same sense that we're looking at here in chapter 5, verse 24. Faithful is he who calls you. This is the call of God right now in our lives. It is the call of God for transformation. It is the call of God for change. It is the call of God which he will consummate one day when Jesus comes. It is certain that he will. Faithful is he who calls you. It is the call of God that we have a part in. Yes, we have a part. We have a responsibility in this whole process of God's calling. Our responsibility is found, for example, in 2 Corinthians 7.1, where it says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. God's calling and God's work in us is to make us holy, but we have a part in that. We cooperate with God in this process of His calling. And if we don't cooperate then it's to our loss. This is an important aspect of God's calling in our lives, and it's one that Paul underscores in this epistle. In chapter 4, for example, he tells us that we are to live purely, we are to live lovingly, we are to live honorably. You may recall that series from chapter 4. We are to live purely, we are to live lovingly, we are to live honorably. Because of the calling of God in our lives. Let me ask you an honest question. What difference does it make in your marriage because God has called you to himself? Does it make you a more understanding and loving husband? Does God's calling cause you to be more considerate of your wife? What difference does it make in the way that you live in the business world 
because of God's calling. We say that's up to God. It's God's calling. Yes, it originates with God, but we participate in this process. Do the people you do business with know that there's a difference about you, that you live honorably, you're an honest business person? Do they know that because they come to you, they're going to get a fair deal? That you're not trying to steal from them because of the calling of God in your life? The calling of God should make a difference. That's the point this morning. We are to be serious about God's call in our lives to holiness. He concludes by giving us God's promise. Faithful is he. He will do it. A couple of weeks ago, I went back to my alma mater in Chicago, and there participated in the 25th reunion of our graduating class of 1966. It's amazing how old some people in our class have gotten in the last 25 years. Age has really taken its toll on them. But we still have our memories, for the most part. One of the things that we talked about was our class verse. It was the custom, you see, that each class would adopt a verse. And our verse was 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. Faithful is he who calls you. He will do it. And as we shared about what's happened in the last quarter of a century, it was interesting to hear that though all of us have been through times of pain and disappointment, as well as blessing and some success, that the theme that came out over and over again was exactly what the promise of God was to our class 25 years ago. Faithful is he who calls you. Your final salvation, your sanctification to be made like Jesus Christ, rests finally and ultimately upon God. He began the process. We cooperate with him in the process, but he is the one who is going to consummate it. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it, says Paul to the Philippians, in the day of Jesus Christ. Just as he justified you by grace, he will sanctify you by grace. And his calling in your life will be realized. Be serious about your calling. Live so that one day when that final adjustment is made, so that when you are like Christ, it's not going to be a leap of a hundred miles, but just another step in the process. Why is this so important with regards to the church? In the first place, because this calling to holiness affects the witness of our church. People in the community know what we teach, hopefully. 
And it is the holiness, the godliness of our lives that backs up our witness and gives us credibility. I remember when I was pastoring another church, and I went calling on a person who had visited our church some time before that. And the essence of his response to my visit and my plea with him was this, look, I know so-and-so that goes to your church, and if that's what Christians are like, I want nothing to do with it. The only thing I could do at that point was to make a hasty and apologetic exit. Because any credibility of the message that I was trying to deliver had been undermined. This call to holiness is something we, ought to, we have to be serious about, folks, because it affects the witness of our church. It also affects the work of our church. Because if there are some of us not serious about God's calling to holiness, the Holy Spirit is quenched. And to the extent that he is quenched, or as Havner put it last week in that quote, squenched, to the extent that he is, then he's not working powerfully through us. It affects the work of our church. And finally, it affects the worship of our church. For if we're not serious about our call to holiness, our worship to God is in vain. Sometime read the first chapter of the book of Isaiah and see what God thought about the worship of the Jews in Isaiah's day when their lives were not holy. We must be serious about God's call to holiness because it is our duty to God and it's also our duty to the people of God. A gentleman was visiting a coal mine on one occasion. And as he got off the elevator there in the shaft and began to walk, he saw a flower a flower of all things, blooming, white, beautiful, there in one of the cracks in the seam of coal. And he asked the question, how can it blossom in such purity and radiance in the midst of all of this coal dust? Whereupon his guide said, well, throw some coal dust on it, and he did. And as he threw the dust on the petals, the dust simply came off of it. They slid off, leaving the snowy white petals unstained. Because God has made that particular flower with petals that are so smooth that the grit and the grime of a coal mine cannot attach to it. The application to that seems to me obvious. Our hearts should have a similar characteristic. Just as that flower could not control its habitat, so we cannot help that we have to live in a world that is filled with evil. But God's grace can keep us so clean and unspotted that though we touch sin on every side, it will not cling to us. That's God's calling. That as you and I walk through the world this week, the sin that we must come into contact with will not pollute us, will not spot us. But at the end of the week, as we come together for worship, we come as a pure people. That's our duty to God. We owe that to God because he's called us to holiness.
Let's pray. Spirit of God, we thank you for the calling that you've given us. A calling to salvation which is sure and certain, guaranteed by your presence in us. But we thank you too for that calling to holiness, whereby one day we will be like Jesus in every respect. And right now, on this day, in this week of 1991, our desire is that the process of this calling will be real in our lives. We pray that we will be yielded to the Holy Spirit in every way that we know, so that as we walk through the world this week, we will be left unstained. I pray that you will write upon our hearts the importance of our being serious about your calling in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.